me personally, like I'm in front of greatness all the time as, as an investor, like I'm in front of founders, like founders change the world, the way the, the, the world operates, you know, it's a really a beautiful thing. And when you sit there and when your job is really just to get out money and to get contracts signed, you know, you feel inferior, right? Because you're not turning the crank and changing the world. You're financing the people to do that. But there's a need, there was a need for me. And I Welcome to Unstoppable, the podcast for anyone who believes that their past and current circumstances do not define their future potential. I'm Karina Burton, your host and co-founder of CPR Construction Cleaning. This show is a series of pro-founding conversations that share stories and experiences of unstoppable people. Those who are willing to change, discover what it means to be aligned, and who are also willing to face tough challenges that stand between them and their dreams. As a coach and marketing expert, I live my life believing that I am unstoppable. Now I want you to know that you are unstoppable too. Thank you so much, David Paul, for joining us. No problem, Karina. Happy to be here. Well, I'm really excited to really get into, you know, about your background, how you are now this amazing investor. I've had a little bit of an opportunity to kind of get to know you over the last year, just, you know, checking you out on LinkedIn. And that's why a huge reason why I invited you onto the podcast is because I'm connected with a lot of other investors on LinkedIn and you're doing something totally and completely different. And I love it. I think it's really fascinating that you are almost like varying truths. Like you're showing it all and it's kind of like the nitty gritty and, um, you know, having people really understand what it means to be an investor and then also helping other people understand, um, you know, the pros, the cons and, what it really looks like. So give us kind of a background on how you started into this unstoppable journey of being this powerhouse investor. Thanks, Karina. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing this probably about seven years now. Uh, Prior to that, I was the CEO of a healthcare services company. Uh, Probably wasn't a great CEO. Definitely wasn't my forte. I got a lot of founder and and operator empathy because it takes a lot to to grind and turn the crank a lot. But I feel like, you know, I really found my calling doing early stage investing. Um, So I started doing it about seven or eight years ago. I got uh, introduced uh, to this world through a little bit of nepotism. Uh, my brother is a, um, a private equity venture capital guy, and, and he had a connection uh, within a, uh, a, pro- or a venture capital firm in Scottsdale, Arizona, called Tall Wave Capital at the time. And um, I just went over there and I started working there for free for about a year and a half. So I went from CEO to unpaid intern um, you know, at, at 30. Right. So ran in there and and did that. And, uh, you know, we did a couple of deals and it was kind of an early stage B2B SaaS. Um, and we just tried to, you know, write two to $300,000 checks and and companies that were, you know, raising some capital and had some better, smarter names, um, in it. And we would just try to get ourselves into those deals. So, I went in and and did that for a while. And then I got recruited out by a a kind of like a mashup of family offices in, uh, in Phoenix called canal partners. And they had a, 
uh, a good reputation. Uh, they wrote larger checks, sat on boards, um, were much more active on the uh, portfolio side, which seemed a little bit more interesting to me. And then I worked there for, you know, six and a half years, um, basically doing a lot of portfolio work. Uh, and then I also, you know, helped source and, and um, realize some uh, investment gains there. And then this is the second year of me starting my own firm. So um, I decided that I uh, didn't want to, you know, work with uh, work for anybody anymore and put out my own shingle and try to do this myself. So being someone who, you know, I've been, I own my own business, but I've also tried to raise funds for my company. It is such a daunting process, let alone trying to understand that entire world. And here you are running and many managing your own company. Did you ever think like, let's say in your teens into your college years that this is where you would be today? Because you said you started what you were 30 when you kind of started dipping your feet into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I had a firm conviction in my early youth that I was going to be a scuba diving instructor for the rest of my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I was uh, and I was actually a scuba diving instructor and a bartender up until I was around 2021. And that was my, that was my trajectory. So a lot's changed since then. So what, like, what was your progression? What basically evolutionized you into this point? Yeah, a lot, a lot of weird things turned, um, you know, to be quite honest, I, uh, I had a pretty bad drinking problem when I was 21 and I had to check myself into a, to a rehab, um, where I spent, you know, some time. And then after that, um, you know, being a, a dive bum on a, on a, you know, in a, in a beach bar was not really conducive to my future. So I decided to, uh, to get out of that business. And, um, I started working in, um, in healthcare and, uh, as an administrator in, in, in healthcare services, uh, particularly behavioral health and, um, worked doing that for a while. Uh, and then after that transitioned out, wanted to be more of an entrepreneur. I didn't want to do behavioral health anymore. I didn't want to bartend, so that wasn't really in my cards anymore. So I was like, well, what else could I do? I was like, well, let's see if I can start a business and sell it. So I was in South Florida. Um, there were a lot of old people there. I was like, what if I started a home healthcare business, right? So I was like, okay, this, this makes sense. There's a low variable costs. Um, I was young and dumb enough to ignore the 400 competitors that were out there in the market. But I went out and started a business out of my pool house and created a company called South Florida Home Care. And we built and sold it uh, within four years, and uh, that's when I decided to, to branch off and figure out what I wanted to do next, which was investing. So with you know the transition between doing something like completely, you were you literally transitioned from something totally different to something totally different to something yeah. totally different. Like you <laughs> literally, mm-hmm. like it was, I mean, I talked to, you know, so many people and it's like, this was my trajectory. I did X, Y, and Z to get up to here. And you're like, no, I'm going to go over here. No, I'm going to try this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it successfully. And I'm going to do a great job. What has developed that mindset? Cause it really does take like a very strong mindset, especially since, you know, you brought up that you struggled with um, an addiction at one point. And that takes a huge mindset to be able to take yourself out of that and say, you know what, I want something else different for me. And it can look so different and you've done it. What have, so what have you done to create that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think 
a lot of like from a mind, if we're going to talk about like a mindset perspective, um, I've never really had any type of problem um, going all in right on stuff that I was wanting to do with my life. And I think that that has been probably one of the things that has made me a little bit more successful than other people is that when I made a decision, I didn't really like have one foot in one foot out. And, um, I really took a look at something and I would just throw myself completely at it and, you know, find the best, smartest people in that business and make them like me. And, um, <laughs> you know, and then basically, you know, just try to grow on from there. So that's kind of how I went from, you know, place to place. Um, Mm-hmm. And it, it's just kind of like worked well with my personality. So, well, I mean, I think what you're saying though, with that, when you had mentioned that you had like a sense of naiveness, right? Like there is something really beautiful about being slightly naive when you're going into business because you have the ability to kind of just jump in with two feet and not even think about maybe the sharks or the things well, yeah. around you that are. If I knew all Go the ahead. information, if I knew all the information, I probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, yeah. it's, it's just, you know, it's definitely, you could, you could, if the naiveness gives you the courage, I think that to, to, to do something and then you figure it out later. So did you have anyone that was like influential for you to start becoming an investor in VC? Uh, well, my brother, Andy, who gave me the opportunity Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that was probably the big layup, right. Where I was able to, you know, get my foot in the door, which is, you know, something that's extremely difficult in this business because everyone kind of wants to do this, do this job. And, um, Mm -hmm. I kind of stumbled into it by accident. And so that was, uh, I think that was probably the first, like, give me a shot type of, um, of, of, uh, uh, you know, uh, mentorship or, you know, a, a hand up, I would say. And the second one was when I went over to, to canal partners where, uh, Todd Belfer and Jim Armstrong gave me a shot, basically working with them. Um, you know, it's funny you want to talk about all in, right. So I, I, uh, I remember they had this really nice office in, um, in old town and, you know, like there were, I was, I was hanging around the hoop, but you know, there was no, like, it was quite obvious that I wanted to work with them, but they were not in a, you know, they, they would kind of flirt with the idea, but not really like be like super upfront about if they want to do it or not doing it. And so what I did mm-hmm. was I just leased an office, like literally right next to theirs. <laughs> so they saw me every single day. And, you know, I listened to pitches with them. I saw them every day. And then eventually I had this like singer deal that I, I sourced and found. And like, they really didn't have an option, but to bring me in. You're like, see, I've got it. I love that mentality. Like you just were like, if you want it, you're going to go get it. And you did what you had to do, which, mm-hmm. you know, most people would be like, that's extreme. I couldn't do that. But you're like, no, this is what you've got to do to get what you want. And you really have to put yourself out there and set yourself apart from everyone. Um, What do you feel like really sets yourself apart, like between anyone else? Because there are a a lot of people who, who do this. There's different variations of what I've learned, you know, when it comes to investing, investing groups or, you know, VCs or small funds or 
what what are the um those fun groups that not go fund me what are those fun groups that um angel groups shoot yes well i was thinking of um what people seem to be doing a lot when they have like a new business and um and i'm just totally forgetting the name of it um it's kind of a trendy thing to do and i'm totally forgetting the name of the of the investment group but i feel like there's got there's there could be a lot of options right what would make you different compared to any other company like from essentially from like a founder picking an investor Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, well, first of all, like in the last couple of years, um, like everyone all of a sudden became an investor, right? Because I think a lot of liquidity was in the market and Mm -hmm. a lot of people were like starting syndicates and, you know, becoming, you know, fund sponsors and independent sponsors and raising funds. And, you know, they might've had a, you know, we're lucky on an exit. And, you know, I was doing this, you know, before that, I mean, the market was definitely going in the direction of up to the right, but it wasn't like 2021, 2021 where everything just went completely insane. Insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so having um, having some wins on the books prior to that was definitely something that uh, people could reference and say, "Oh, you actually like have done this and like have helped X amount of companies." Um, achieve a semblance of scale and, and sell and have realized returns. So that gave me a lot of street credit uh, before that. And then, you know, I, I would, you know, what I would do is like when everyone, whenever a, a founder would ask me like, well, what's, what's your value add? Or like, what else can you bring besides money? I just tell them to go talk to the people I've worked with. Right. I mean, period. I mean, that's like, that's, that's honestly the best way I can describe it because no two companies are the same, right. They're not, mm-hmm. they don't need the same things. Um you know, so one might be where I would stick my hands completely into the company and help them, you know, kind of develop their financial model and metrics because the guys aren't super number driven. Another one might be like I do a lot of business development and help them recruit employees or customers. You know, one might be like, you know, I'm just an open, empathetic person that could cheer and, you know, talk to them, you know, at a time when they probably can't talk to anyone else because things aren't going well right? They can't talk to their employees about it. They yeah. can't talk to their other investors. So I'd be their first call if things aren't going well. So, you know, it really is, I think, a, it's more about a people business and having mm-hmm. having a reputation matters, right? That's good. So I think everybody's yeah. got, I think every investor probably has a group of portfolios that can make them sound themselves better, but I'm, I'm pretty good at convincing people to take my money. <laughs> oh, I have to laugh at that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, it was Kickstarter. Kickstarter was the... That's it. Yeah, that was like Kickstarter came to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, but what you had mentioned about, you know, you are the first person that you're, you know, the people that you work with or have invested with, you're the first person they go to. I see that actually on LinkedIn. Like, I don't initially, I didn't initially see that when I first connected with you. And then suddenly like you blossom, like you just came out and were, you know, you, you're humanizing an area that is very daunting. And I will say this, women do not talk about this type of conversation. It's not very many. It's not something that, you know, I was well-versed in, um, it's not that I know a lot of men who are well-versed in it, but when I had been talking to other 
um, angel investors, VCs, you know, any type of investment group, I would say 90% of the people that were on the board were male, but with women, but I, with women, it's the conversations just need to be out there. There, it needs to be more humanized. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. they're doing an amazing job doing that for everyone so that, you know, both men and women feel very comfortable saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a chance because I had spoken to a gal who owned her own business and she was like, they are just so hard, so difficult to talk to. It's just like, um, like a hard wall, this hard wall. And you're, and you're saying the opposite. And that's really what makes you different. And, and you are making this industry, in my opinion, different in the sense of what you're sharing. What made you decide to do this? to be like that and to share, you know, that type of information, but also be so humanizing with the people you work with. Yeah. That's so funny that you say that, that, I mean, I just, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know if it's like humanizing or just self-deprecating or like what, what's the, what's a better term, but like, <laughs> it's like, it's a, you know, it's just something that I think there's just a level of, you know, I think being authentic that, that uh, people like and get attracted to. Um, I generally am a pretty straight shooter, you know, when, when you talk to them, but like from being like friendly, you know, that's something I I've definitely struggled with. You know, I've been in a position where like I've worked for, you know, in earlier in my career, like, and I, I've been that, you know, stodgy white guy that was super cold and calculated. And, you know, why isn't this like, why didn't you hit your numbers? And, you know, I, I, I ran that playbook and, and honestly, it's not a really a great look. And, um, it's it's a it's an ego heavy game and i find that um a lot of things in which i was like super controlling and maniacal about as an investor were things that really didn't matter you know and like if yeah. it, it, you know like honestly and like like things happen and like like things take time and the more it's almost like um uh it's funny there there was it's, it's a good analogy so when i was um when I was younger, one of my first jobs was, is I was a veterinary assistant, right? And so I would hold animals while the, the veterinarian would like, you know, poke and prod at them and, you know, give them medicine, look in their eyes, look in their mouths, et cetera. And we would have to hold cats, right? And cats would, you know, they were like always scratching and biting. And, you know, like a lot of them were like finicky. They didn't want to be on the table. And there's a certain way to hold a cat. And you have to kind of hold the front paws and you have to hold their, their kind of their neck. So like they can't scratch or bite. And, um, I had this one doctor and I'm trying to hold it the way they trained me to hold it. And he said, dude, just, just, just relax. Like, it's fine. Like, like I was stressing the cat out by, by doing that. And even though there was a chance for the cat to jump out and scratch him, he was like very you know meticulous with the cat and he gave the cat the, the treatment that it needed. And I didn't have to like strangle the cat to do it. So I feel like the, 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 the more I let go right? The more um, I get the communication and the mm-hmm. more I get the, the mind share of the founder. Yeah. Um, so what gave like you that... this epiphany? Because you must have had like a moment where totally something so kind that... of was, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, so totally. So like I had a blow up, right. Because you never learn this stuff. Like, like, on, like, you know, things are going well, right. These things always yeah. happen. When they're going bad. Yeah. So I just want, I had this one founder and we're, bashing heads right because he wasn't giving me a budget on time 
uh, he goes burning cash. Like I felt completely out of control of the situation. I didn't feel confident in his abilities. He didn't give me the information that I needed to get. And, um, you know, I'm like rousing, you know, the, the board and all that stuff, trying to get, trying to get the information I need. And, you know, he, it's getting like super contentious at this point. Right. And like, he's extremely upset with me and I'm extremely upset with him. And we had a blow up on the phone and he, and he, uh, we hung up the phone and I remember something somebody told me, uh, once was, you know, I was getting into an altercation at work and, um, basically this was a variation off that. And, um, I remember, do I want to be right or do I want to be effective? And, the end of the day is I wanted to be effective. I didn't need to be right. Mm-hmm. So how do I get in a position where I can be effective? And when I had that mind shift, like I realized that like, this is a, this is a long game, right? This is like, you know, this is yeah. relationship building. This is like, you, you can't die on every hill. Right. And um, I called him back and I said, Hey man, how can I communicate with you better? Because clearly what I'm doing is not working. Right. And so he kind of came to me and we, we became best friends and we made money and, you know, and then he actually started to respect a lot of what I was doing um, before. So that was, that was what I would say was one of the catalysts that happened. And then there was another thing that happened was that all of a sudden, like I realized me personally, like I'm in front of greatness all the time as, as an investor, like I'm in front of founders, like founders change the world, the way the, the, the world operates, you know, it's a really a beautiful thing. And when you sit there and when your job is really just to get out money and to get contracts signed, you know, you feel inferior, right? Because you're not turning the crank and changing the world. You're financing the people to do that, but there's a need, there was a need for me. And I, and I don't know if any other investors would actually admit this or not, but I've seen it with other investors, the need to try to prove their value to the founder. And so they try to like force opinions or, or um, directives or advice um, on founders because they want to be heard and they want to feel valued because they don't feel valued or listened to. And so when I realized, like, so now I kind of like, I'm, I'm, I sit back and I wonder, like, if I'm going to give some feedback, is this feedback because I need to feel valued or is this feedback because I think this guy actually needs to hear it, right? So there's yeah. kind of like two screens. So like is, like, is this for me or is this for them? And number two is, am I trying to be effective or am I trying to be right? And so if I, if I, if I communicate through those two different screens, generally, whatever the output of that conversation is generally pretty good. That is so powerful that you said that you feel not not saying that this is a great feeling, but you feel inferior when it comes to who you're working with, because I think that majority of the people would feel the opposite. Right. Like people would automatically think that I'm writing this down. This is a good good blog blog post. I'm writing this down. So (laughs) forget it. Please do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. You know, because it's this whole mentality of, oh, you've got the money, so you can act a certain way. And it and it and it makes this line of work kind of scary for people. And you know, it and it really pigeonholes certain people into having these conversations because I think a lot of people may feel afraid to go and dive into that. Um And so, you know, to hear your genuine feelings like, wow, when I meet founders, I'm just like, you know, wow, you guys are 
making the changes. You guys are changing the world and, you know, you just have the money, so to speak. But obviously, in my opinion, if we don't have you and you don't have us, then, you know, doesn't nothing work. really yeah. gets moving. Yeah, it doesn't work. So we both need each other, right, to have that mentality. But I think having that, that combined mentality it's it once again it softens the industry and i and i'm probably going to say this like on repetition but i know that people who are going to listen to this podcast are going to feel the same exact way when you think about investors and you think about vcs angel all of the above it's it's scary for us right being on the mm-hmm. other side and you on the other side you're like nah it's not that it's not that bad you know like mm-hmm. i care i want to be able to to help see your company grow and us make money together and essentially kill it on that aspect. Um, so when you started your, your own uh, firm, how did that go? Like, how was that transition? You're starting on your own two feet. Were you able to bring anyone over or how does that work in, in that world? Yeah. So, um, well, when you're doing, when you, when you deploy capital, the way that we did at canal partners and the way that I do currently at my firm, um, it's not super hard to stand up. Like, you know, a lot of people they have to go out and they have to raise a fund in order to start operating. Um, I would do things on a deal by deal basis, right? So, you know, I, you know, how I structure it is, you know, I'll find an opportunity. Um, I've got people that I've made money for in the past, uh, including my old partner. Uh, so I'm able to write a big check. I'm able to like compound that check with, you know, with additional capital from other high net worth individuals and my old colleagues that I made money for. And mm-hmm. for that, like I'm internally grateful because if I didn't have that experience, I, I would have like, nobody would know who I would be. And like, I didn't have access to this capital. So um, I'm able to raise the capital and then deploy it um, as, as opportunities come up. So the barrier uh, wasn't super difficult for me to start. What I would say is um, the uh, I took a break between leaving Canal Partners and starting my firm, and getting back into the swing of things was definitely difficult. Um, my deal flow went to zero. Uh, I became extremely irrelevant. Right, not that I was like super relevant before, but I was more irrelevant because I was out of the game for a year, and I had to kind of reestablish myself. Even though I was working in the business for, you know, six, six something years, you know, like it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had my contacts, but, you know, like they just weren't sending me anything. And not to mention the chessboard was completely different. I mean, the amount of capital that was in the system, the amount of people that were transacting and how they were transacting was completely foreign to me. So uh, it, it was difficult. And I would say that was the first part. The second piece that was extremely difficult for me, which I didn't see coming, was now the everything, the the, all of the responsibility of, of the investment decision laid on me, right? Whereas I was the junior partner at my last firm, the ultimate investment mm-hmm. decision was Jim and Todd. Um, and I mean, like they said, like we were all partners, but I mean, I was like, like I, I couldn't veto a deal, right? You know, so, you know, a lot of their stuff, you know, had, you know, I had, I had some lightning rods to be, to be honest on, you know, how, how, how they invested and, and why, and, you know, when I'm going out and raising capital for other people, it's a little bit easier than me saying like, Hey, I'm in this. It's great. You should do it too. That was a, a, a change that I was not expecting. 
So what keeps you so passionate and motivated to just keep going out there and kick like knocking it out of the park, so to speak? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know if I'm knocking it out of the park right now. I haven't written a check in about a year, so but I'm I'm looking, man, and I I, I feel I feel like the actions that were that we're doing inside of our firm um, are the right ones. I feel like we, mm-hmm. I mean, like we just did, I mean, we, we did, uh, I think over 280 something deals we screened the first half of this year. And if I looked at the bottom of the funnel of like the things that we really like opened up and like took a look at, you know, I mean, we, we've seen a lot of stuff. Like we, we definitely have been, you know, been working, like the action is there. Uh, I would say the quality of the stuff that we're seeing is, is it's not great. Um, you know, I don't think it's because like that quality stuff's not out there. I just think that I'm a new firm and I'm just not getting it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, like it's just. Well, it's I just think kinda... that, I mean, there's been a huge increase in um, entrepreneurialism, right? Whether it's solopreneurs or people starting up businesses, it has gone up. I think it's like 30 or 40% since COVID. Mm-hmm. So everyone is, is. I mean, there's a huge push about becoming your own boss. And I think it's really wonderful. I mean, I I am my own boss. I own my own business. But if we don't have people who enjoy their nine to five, right, so to speak, versus a crazy ass entrepreneurialism lifestyle, um, you know, it's kind of like the same thing. We need each other. We need there to be this kumbaya between it all. And so I think people are kind of like spurring out some ideas. Like, I think this is a great idea. Let's start a business. And it's really mm-hmm. yeah. not maybe the best, <laughs> best yeah. idea. With a lot of liquidity in the markets lead to a lot of people being the entrepreneurs. But I think that's swinging back the other way. I think, you know, there's a lot of layoffs happening, unfortunately. I think we're going into kind of a headwind. What, what kind of um, companies are you seeing? Like what, in what markets? Or do you, I feel like you were typically in the tech space, but you are not anymore. I think you do like a versatile of things. Yeah. So that that's a really good question. So that when, I, when I was looking at um, CPR, um, your company, uh, I was in oh, a, yeah. Tr- mm-hmm. yeah, I was in a transition of, and I get that right, right? Isn't it CPR? Yeah. It's CPR construction cleaning. Yeah. CPR construction cleaning. <laughs> it's yeah. a long name. Yeah. So uh, I, I remember, I remember um, there was a lot of like, there's a lot of like genesis like of like how things happened and you know at first mm-hmm. i was so disillusioned by tech when i got back in the business because of the valuations and like just nothing made sense anymore so i, I got out of it and i got into a uh, a, ma- uh, uh, a manufacturing company that you know had a direct to consumer product um I realized like what the inner workings of that business model is. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is why SaaS companies are worth so much money. Like, because like the socks, like inventory people, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, I was like, like to change anything was like, you know, moving mountains. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. So and recurring revenue, like I was like, Oh, I forgot about that. That is worth a lot. You know? So we had a, um, <laughs> so we had, you know, so I did that deal and then uh, I did another deal that year. And then so I'd say at the end of 2021, like I got super focused on doing software, B2B vertical software or tech enabled mm-hmm. services, meaning services that had re- re- that were recurring in nature that had some kind of technology component to them that would make them like, you know, really efficient and really high gross margin. 
So I had heard from another investor that they also felt that the tech space was oversaturated with investment groups. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to hear that you had the same feelings as well. Um, but that you kind of swung back into that, you know, mm-hmm. seeing that there's so much opportunity, um, which, you know, is reality. Like we are such like, as we progress and innovate, like technology is only growing and there's so much more opportunities and programs and platforms and the way that we do our systems is all online. You know, it's, I don't feel like it's a, it's ever going to go away or it's ever going to be less dominating than any other industry in my opinion, but I'm not, yeah, it's not <laughs> you know, I don't yeah, know it's, what you do. So. Yeah. It's not like, like energy where like you take something and take energy from that. I mean, like the technology mm-hmm. is a, is a spectrum that encompasses so many other industries, including energy. Right. So it's, 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 it's one of those things that I think it's, it's considered a sector right? I mean, I guess like software would be the, the better term, like, like soft, like the software business, but um, okay. mm-hmm. it, it really is. It really is. I mean, like anything that is in an email or an Excel file could be a software solution, right? So like it, yeah. it, there is so in like phone calls and just really redundant processes. So, um, you know, I do think it, it has been oversaturated, um, but there's good stuff out there. You just have to find it. So you started your company in 20, was it 2020? Uh, 2021. If so it's going like second in. Year. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You're going into your second year. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Gosh, time's flying by so fast. Um, what, what tips would you give to people who are wanting to start working with investment groups? Um, but maybe they don't, they just don't know. Like I literally had to learn step by step slowly and figure it all out. Like, you know, and even providing the information that uh, investors want doing um, our, our, um, oh my goodness, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Where we're, our pitch, our pitch, where we're pitching ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's all like a specific strategy. It's all timed. <laughs> it can be a little bit stressful when you're doing it. I, and you know what? My whole point for this is that I feel like people like you can make it much more, not, not necessarily simplistic, but it feels good. It's not scary. It's a process. It has to be analytical and you have to cross your T's and dot your I's and you need to make sure because it's a, it's a, it's a marriage between you and another business and you make sure that it's a healthy marriage and that Mm -hmm. provides longevity together, but it shouldn't feel so scary and daunting, right? Like you just feel, have the fear of life. And I know that there's a lot of entrepreneurs like myself who experience that. And I feel like, you know, with people like you could really soften the industry. So what tips would you give for new entrepreneurs that want to start um, acquiring funds through investment groups? Yeah. So that's a, that, that's, that's a really good question. And um, you know, I think getting a really good appraisal kind of on where you are is, is super important and kind of like why, where you're trying to go and 
who you want to tackle for this. If you're a person that has an idea and is working a full-time job and are looking for somebody to fund a company that so you can quit your job and start working on it full-time, that's incredibly difficult to do. And normally venture capitalists don't fund that unless you're like Elon Musk right? <laughs> or like somebody that has made them, like it's their second or third or fourth company that they're trying to do. And then you mm-hmm. can you can raise money on an idea, right? It, it's reserved for probably you know, that the people that have actually like, you know, generated value, a company value before. So like, mm-hmm. if you're trying to do that, that's, that's a really, really long road to do. And if you got funding out of that, it'd probably be more of luck than because of the actual merit. Right. So, um, yeah. because, you know, ideas are cheap, right. I mean, anybody can have an idea and to have, if you don't have any type of history, like working at a big company for big people that were creating value, that would be, that would be extremely hard to do. If you're in a position where like, you know, you have a product and, you know, you or a service and you're in market and you're making money, I think that is something that is, okay, well, that, that's interesting. Like you actually have taken that execution risk and it, it is validating as an investor that, okay, you're all into this thing. It's not like, oh, well, you know, you're in for it, you know, for, you know, unless it doesn't work and then you're going to quit, right? And also I have to put more money into it. So like you've already made the commitment leap, right? And um, you're in that position where you actually have something that we can look at and we can actually validate. So if you're looking for your first check, they call that like the pre-seed check. Um, generally that's usually less than a million dollars, you know, it's maybe a couple hundred thousand up to a million. Um, again, that is, that is a difficult check to get. Um, uh, but you know, we're, you know, where that kind of comes in is, uh, you know, angel groups, uh, high net worth individuals, um, friends, family. If you don't have people, friends or family to have money, then, you know, I would say I would go to place it like, you know, whatever industry that that solution or product or service is in, uh, go to mm-hmm. rich people in that industry that understand the problem that you're solving and ask them for money. And if they don't see the opportunity, right, in your product or service within that industry, and they've been in that industry for 20 years and have had made money in that industry, there might be something wrong with you or with the product or service you're trying to put into that market. So it's a good litmus test of actually saying, like, do I actually have something or not? Yeah. Before you actually like go in with other, like a full group. Speaking of that though, what what would you suggest? Um, You know, when I'm connected on, on LinkedIn with various um, investors, but I wouldn't know how to even meet anyone. Would you suggest that somebody would get, you know, maybe a consultant who knows how to network with other people or has basically, you know, a bank of contacts in the the industry or is there a different is there a different way for people to um, to find these connections? Because I don't think, you know, not everybody uses um, social media, you know, mm-hmm. or understands it. And so they just kind of write it off. But if you don't know, or you don't have these connections, you wouldn't even have a arm's reach, you know, into that world. So yes. Yeah. So I think like, if you, if you want to start getting in like the scene and like starting to like, climb that ladder to start talking to investors. I mean, you could just Google, you know, startup, whatever city you're in, and there'll be meetups, there'll be events, there'll be some kind of association. And then you'll start to understand who's the who's who of these organizations. 
start developing relationships with them. And then, you know, from there, you kind of just, you know, play seven degrees of Kevin Bacon to the person who actually has money. So you would recommend doing that strategy versus hiring a consultant? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I would never why would, like... I'm just curious, why? Because, like, I don't think that, like, I don't think that, like, a consultant to get a pre-seed check, like, I, like who, what kind of guy would make money doing that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that would just yeah. be like, yeah. that would that would seem just kind of like... trying a, to take money off the back end. Yeah, no, I mean, like, that just is, it's, it's just kind of silly, like generally like anybody like any kind of connector that's trying to connect investors to early stage companies like generally like the company isn't that isn't that great right uh if you need that and the reason for that is because um or or they're just so naive that they don't that they don't realize that that's a good alternative right and the reason for that yeah is is because you know, it's like, you're not a, you're not an investment bank. You're not like big enough to actually make it worth it for the said consultant to actually raise capital for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, it's, it's not a great proposition for them and it's not a great proposition for you. And generally those people are kind of predatory, right. Um, You know, trying to take capital like from earlier stage people and that really don't have Mm -hmm. it right to give, but they do. So, I mean, I, I would suggest, you know, making real relationships with people, right. And climbing your way that way than trying to get some like if I had a consultant that was like hey I have five startups I want you to meet I mean I would just that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a great look for me I mean I'd much rather have somebody that was introed by somebody that I know in the community that they say oh this person's awesome you should go meet them or they just slide into your dms sure give give me a chance here is my information Mm -hmm. oh that's funny i I mean like i feel like that's you got to know your audience right like i mean it's really funny it's like founders are so i know i'm right about this too they're so good about listening to their customers and trying to figure out like what's like you know what is you know uh what what's the what's needed in their product or service to grow their business but when it comes to like actually doing a fundraising strategy, it seems like they just all that information just leaves their head, right? And they just say, "Oh, you have money, you should invest in my company." But you do not know what the investor actually invests in, why they invest in it, right? And they don't really listen yeah. to the feedback that they get, right? So you know, like you could be wasting your time talking to twenty or thirty people that you did no work on before you actually went to go talk to them. And you get discouraged when really your your time would be spent talking and reaching in to trying to get to 20 or 30 people who actually invest in that space. No, that makes sense. Because I felt like, you know, in my process, I was introduced to a lot of people like in the tech space. And I kept saying, like, I, this is not we're not a tech company. Do we have some platforms that we use that are, you know, technology based? Yes. But I, I felt like, you know. I may have been one of those really naive people who just didn't really know how to even look like my other than like reading um, articles. I think that's how I had seen your name initially. It was because I had seen that you were with canal partners and then you started Mm -hmm. your own firm. And so, you know, I was like, I'm going to start digging in. And then that's kind of how, you know, I evolutionized was just myself learning. And yeah, and that's and that's industry. how you yeah, and that's how you do it, right? I mean, I mean that that's so much more valuable than you know hiring some schmuck who says that they're going to introduce you to investors, which really, like, on first principles, are is like, you're hiring this guy to get you money, right? 
And that yeah. guy really has no influence of getting you money. So, yeah. you know. No, so exactly. It, because it's going to be disappointing. The founders are the ones who mm-hmm. have to put on the, you know, this, this whole, I don't want to say show, but basically like I'm going to provide you everything and I'm going to win you over with what we're providing, our services, our product, our, you know, us as individuals, right? Like, cause I, I, I heard that so many times, like we're also buying into you, like mm-hmm. we like you and that's a huge, you know, that is not a consultant. That is 100%, you know, the founder or founders and their relationship that they end up building with that, you know, key investor. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things or maybe something that you wish you would have known before starting your, um, your firm? Is there anything that you're like, dang, I wish I would have known that. And now you're kind of learning as you're going along or. <laughs> I probably wish I would have. <laughs> I, I, probably like... <laughs> wish, I probably you know, wish I would have stayed focused on the stuff that I was kind of like, like that I was good at or like that I understood prior to just being so opportunistic when I opened my doors again. I mean, that was a year of just figuring out I was in the same space that I was, I started in and that I was disenfranchised mm-hmm. in. Um, but I, uh, I didn't do that. I just went out and started talking to everybody. But now you've made, I'm sure probably good connections. People sure. just know mm-hmm. it opens up the mind. Right. Yeah. But it's, absolutely. you know, it is always interesting to look back and you're like, all right, well, I kind of took the long road to just get mm-hmm. back kind of where I would, I really am meant to be in. But now you're you you're confident and you know that where you're at is where you should be. And maybe if you would have done it the you know reverse, you would still be wondering. What, yeah, exactly. Right? I might have put a bunch of I might have overpaid for a bunch of deals in 2021, <laughs> right? And now, now the market <laughs> crashed. You know, so really that 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 year of talking to other companies saved me from owning a bag of bag of uh, yeah waffles. So exactly, exactly. No, very very true. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so my last question, though, is going to go back to um, your your content that you put on LinkedIn, because, um, you know, you put a lot of these really informative articles, like you just jotted down because you're like, I'm going to put this in my newsletter, or, mm-hmm. or are you going to create it into a podcast or something? Um, what, ha- what is it that, tr- that has transitioned you over because like I said when I first started following you I didn't see this and then and then suddenly you kind of just you know you you really blossomed into it and Mm -hmm. you're the stuff that you put out there and you even put really great posts I saw a picture of your wife with your your daughters you have girls Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I was just like how many I've never seen another invest investor like ever do anything like that and um maybe I'm not paying attention, but I mean, I look on LinkedIn and I don't see that. And I just, I think that's really great that you, that you're doing that and setting that precedence for you and other investors to kind of, you know, soften up a bit. So what, what was it that made you decide I'm going to kind of dive into this? Yeah. So, um, it was an inspiration of another investor that I know that puts a lot of stuff out. Um, 
you know, and, and he describes it as just something that he does. It's like meditation or working out. It's a way to clarify his, his, his mind and his brain. And he does it for himself. And I was like, oh, I like that idea. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to do that. And I just started, you know, my newsletter is called Ramblings. Literally, it's like three paragraphs of me rambling on about something. Right. But it helps me kind of get clear on that particular subject. Um, so that's one uh, reason why I do it. The second reason that I do it is, um, and then the podcast that came out of doing that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in the job of having conversations with people, either with pitches or trying to learn an industry, et cetera, et cetera, um, getting myself smarter. And I was like, well, like, first of all, like, what a great opportunity for me to be able to access people, the stuff that I want to learn from them. And I mean, I don't, I don't give a shit about who listens to it, honestly. Like, I really am just like saying, like, I want, I want to listen to, I, I have like 15 questions I want to ask you about this particular subject. And that takes like, and then that's most of the podcast. And then, you know, I learn about their backgrounds and stuff. And I just like, just get smarter. Right? Like, it's an incredible yeah. way to get smarter. And then, you know, there's like, there's downstream effects from it. So like, there's nothing I do as an investor that scales. As I said, I'm in the conversation business. And once the conversation's done, I'm, it's over. But, you know, when I'm putting it out on the internet and I'm making it into that conversation into a podcast, uh, my associate's editing it. And so she's learning about different perspectives and things. Uh, and she's producing it. I'm putting it out on the internet. So then other people will start to like it, you know, if they mm-hmm. do like it and using their audience. And so like, you know, it's, it's worked and people seem to like it. So, um, you know, it, it's really just about kind of putting myself out there and, um, and clarifying my own thoughts. Yeah. You know, I actually resonate a hundred percent with what you said when your reasoning, how you started writing and putting it out there, it is very therapeutic for me. I was like, I don't care if, if no one else is resonating with this. If I put it out, it's like, I don't know. I, I get other people, maybe their ideals. It helps my brain to kind of open up. Maybe I'm being close-minded about what I'm thinking, or maybe I'm not. Maybe it's a great opportunity to see that how I'm feeling is, I'm not alone in it, so to speak, right? Or what mm-hmm. I'm thinking about or my beliefs or whatever it may be. Um, it's, I think it kind of gets a little bit daunting when, you know, when you start caring about what people think. And so, um, you know, for the fact that you're just like, hey, I'm, I'm in it just to do this, but you are now looking at the positives and the people learning from it and the people around you who are learning from it and growing you know, it's a, it's a win-win, but when you start caring about what other people think, I think that's when it's, it kind of loses its appeal and the glam yeah. of it all. I, I do. So, I, I would be lying if I said, I don't get a dopamine hit by seeing how many people comment. I do like that. Like that is fun <laughs> to look at. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, a, you can't help that, right? Like it's, you're human. It's human nature. It's like, when one of your posts go viral for the first time, you're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, that's cool. so cool. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes that does come with some negative, you know, comments. 100%. People who just love to banter and you're just like, I don't really want to deal with this. So, you know, it's it's the good and with the bad. But um, I so appreciate you joining me today on the unstoppable podcast. I, I have found you to be 
someone who's very fascinating because you're in an area that I want to learn so much more. I want to feel really comfortable and have easy conversations with people who live in that world. Um, and I want other people, women and men to feel the same way and to feel like empowered to be able to approach those individuals or those circumstances and know that, you know, they're learning along the way and they're going to meet people like yourself and connect and either you guys, you know, do a deal or not do a deal, but you know, you build relationships and there's always something that good can come from it. So I'm sure my, the audience is going to want to know where they can find you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm on Your LinkedIn. Yeah. David Paul VC. Um, pretty active on LinkedIn. I don't really do Twitter. It's kind of hard to compete on Twitter. So, you know, it's, it's often pretty loud. I can't do real time. Like it's just, it's too much for me. So yeah. So I, mostly LinkedIn or, you know, you can email me at David at dwpcapital.com. And then do you have any, any exciting things coming up or you have new deals that you've done? What's the next uh, year look like for you? Yeah. I mean, the next year, I mean, honestly, like we've, been really really handy and looking for opportunities that fit our profile so i mean we're just you know want to put more gas on the fire and keep going um we're really starting to dive into tech enabled healthcare services we feel like we're super bullish on that space healthcare is extremely broken and I think there's a lot of opportunity in there we just need to get a little bit smarter about it and find where those good operators are that's the real best part about being cc's is you don't have to solve any of these problems you just need to find the people that do so yeah <laughs> you know, exactly so if anyone listening Yes. Anyone listening who's in that industry, hit them up. Exactly. <laughs> connect, exactly. connect, connect. All right. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate you. Have a good day. You too. Thanks, Karina.